It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is in Memphis, Tennessee, at the University of Memphis, and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. That is a wonderful, warm reception. Thank you very much, Memphis Tigers and the Kappa Alpha Order for hosting uh, the Adam Rich Show. And our, our guest is DJ Balaj. Did I say that right? Yes, sir. DJ Balaj, you've been singled out by your peers in your administration for being caught in the act. This is called the Caught in the Act Award, and what we do is we find somebody that's gone above and beyond, whether it's integrity or character or community service, and we like to just highlight their service work on their uh, home campus and uh, talk about how you give back to your community. Is that, do you know that's why you're up here? I do not. So do you, do you, Maybe I was misinformed. <laughs> Do you give back to your, to your community? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Then it was you. <laughs> then I've got the right guy up here. Tell us about your campus and what you do on it. Um, I'm from William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri. Um, currently, we work with two women battered shelters. Um, we go there about two or three times a semester, um, reach out to them and help them whatever they need. How did that start, and how long have you been doing it? Um, we had a member that um, had reached out through a nonprofit organization and decided that that was our best uh, benefit uh, as being a member of the Cap Alpha Order and being chivalrous. And when they were contacted, were they on board from the get-go, or were they, were they like, hold on, a bunch of frat guys, or what are we doing? No, they were very open, and they knew of uh, our, our organization on campus at William Jewell, um, and they accepted us right away. Well, it's important to note, I like to highlight community service projects. You know, sometimes, uh, is there funding? Do you raise money, or do you, or do you help out with your man hours? Um, we do most of our man hours, yeah. but we also do a little bit of a funding. A little bit of funding, too. Okay. Then you do a little bit of both. Because yeah. I, I like to point out, you, you know, sometimes you don't have to raise cash or money to help an organization. Sometimes you can just use your, your time and your man hours to help them. You can also use your uh, social media platforms to promote their cause. And I'm sure when you work with them, you'll also post that on your Facebook page. Yes, sir. And what is uh, your Facebook page so we can check that out? Um, I believe it's K.A. William Jewell College. Okay, that's DJ from William Jewell College. Thank you so much for helping out the planet. <laughs> Let's have a round of applause for DJ. And for everybody here at the University of Memphis, thank you so much for having the Adam Rich Show. The Adam Ritz Show. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. And we continue from College Station. I'm on the campus of Texas A&M University with Athletic Director Raymond Harrison. Hi, Raymond. How are you? Associate Athletic Director? What's your title? Senior Associate Athletic Director. And, and uh, I'm doing fantastic. And you're doing fantastic. I am doing fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for having me on campus today. Uh, I always enjoy being in College Station. Uh, we'll get down to some uh, nitty-gritty with some hardcore public affairs, social awareness questions in a second. But let's have some fun, right? off the bat with Texas A&M, um, you were telling me you came from uh, years ago, an undergrad at Cincinnati, yes. you were a student athlete. I was, I was. I played football there uh, back in the early 90s, so okay. long time ago. Long, long time, time ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so decades now later, you're, uh, you're at Texas A&M. What's your favorite part about this campus? You know, I think the favorite part 
Well, I, I don't know if it's the, the campus itself, but the fact is that uh, if you know anything about Aggies, they're very loyal and uh, they live by their core values and traditions. And, and that was something that I really embraced and I think is a great thing because it's very unique and uh, it's something that our student athletes love. Well, your work with the student athletes, uh, integrity, character, community service, you're covering some of these topics with these guys, aren't you? That's very important. It's very important for students and student athletes to understand that I think the education process is not just books and, and what you learn in the classroom. It's about those practical experiences that you go through that prepare you for life after college is over. Well, here in the last uh, few years that you've been here with Texas A&M, I'll just pick your brain, top of your head, mm -hmm. what have been some of your favorite uh, initiatives, either uh, community service project-wise or um, or at, with academics? I mean, these are some of the issues we cover on the radio show. Sure. So right, I'm just right. putting you on the spot, I know. Sure, but top of your mind, okay. uh, some of your favorite initiatives. I think, one, uh, we what we had a chance to do is to install our whole life skills program. And uh, we have something specifically for our freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So we were able to implement that through a full year last year. And one of the things personally for me, uh, I had an opportunity last year when I first got here, uh, our football players, they, they, what they did is they, they did a community service effort at Twin City Missions. They've adopted that organization as their, as their place. And uh, I had a chance to go with them, help clean up and do some things. And I thought it was really cool to just be in there with them and watch them give back to, uh, to the local community. It's neat for me when I see projects like that, too, and I'm, I'm sure you saw this. The guys, your student-athletes, maybe reluctantly go. Maybe they're like, oh, do we have to do Absolutely. this today? But the, once they're there sure. and they almost enjoy it or get more out of it than the people they're helping. I would say that is absolutely the case. I would say that was also the case today. Uh, anytime you bring in a speaker and they have no idea who this person is, uh, and, and hopefully what we try to do, and we try to ex explain this to them, everything we do is for their benefit. And, yeah, no one wants to come here. It's 5 o'clock. Their day's over. It's an off day for a lot of the student-athletes. But what they do is they leave here, because, and they're glad that they came, because they learned so much, and, and hopefully they were enriched by something that you said today. So we really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you. Uh, our guest is Raymond Harrison with Texas A&M Athletics. You played football at Cincinnati not that long ago, in the 90s, you said? Yeah, 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 early 90s, uh, mid-90s. Uh, you know, I don't have any hair anymore, and, and what I found out, I had a, actually a funny story where I think I'm a little bit older now is I was in a weight room one day, and I was working out, and, you know, basketball team was in there, and, uh, you know, I, I'm an old rap guy, so not the new rap, but the old rap, so I heard something playing, and I saw one of our student-athletes singing the music, and I said, you don't know anything about that, and he says, what do you mean? My dad showed me this, and he talked to me about this, uh. and I said, how old is your dad? He told me his age I said oh my goodness we're the same age so I'm getting old I'm not as hip and cool as I thought I am but uh, you're pretty hip and cool yeah, you're well, pretty hip and I appreciate cool. that you're a kind guy and yeah. Cincinnati in the 90s I mean that's when uh, that's kind of when the success hit there's a lot of NFL guys uh, that come out of Cincinnati when you played at Cincinnati compared to you know what these guys that played with the football team here with I mean it's a huge program I just saw the renovations to the stadium it's like 107,000 people can fit in the new stadium at Texas A&M What's the difference um, time-wise from your generation to these guys now with this kind of effort to make integrity, character, community service, to make that kind of effort? Well, you know, I think anywhere, whether it's when I played or whether it's now, uh, being a student athlete is a full-time job. And uh, I think, though, when you look at the grand scheme of things, there are always time 
to fit in different things. And what we want to do is to teach time management as much as possible uh, because that's a life skill that will transfer to whatever they do after this. And so I, I think there's time to do things, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we preach a lot about academics and, and athletics, but we also want them to do some community service, but you want them to also have some fun. You know, you can't just be academics and all athletics. So we tell them to make sure you have some fun because these are supposed to be the best years of your life. And uh, so who are we to say not to have fun? Right. right? We were one students before yeah. and we had we had great times. And we made uh, some great relationships. So I think that's important for us to be as real as we can with them. Now, you work with all the student athletes. Is I that do. right? I do. do you see a difference in the in the genders as far as? wanting to help with a community service project. I'm just going to guess and assume it's it's a little more pulling teeth with the guys than it would be with the girls. Is that a, a, a safe assumption? Well, Adam, you're trying to get me in trouble, and I don't know that I want to buy into that. I'm not I, I trying to say, get in trouble, you, I swear. You are. You're trying to get me in trouble because you want me to choose between one gender or the next to say who's... who's uh, well, I guess I'm getting myself in trouble. Yeah, you are. Because I'm yeah, thinking, are. okay, you if are. I when I played college football... I probably heard, oh, today's the day we have to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, am yeah. I, I wouldn't I want to do it. I'll say this. I think that's across the board. Okay. I think it's across the board. I think you'll have some student athletes who are very service oriented and they want to do it regardless. You don't have to tell them to do it. They're going to do it on their own. Um, so I don't I wouldn't say there's a particular gender who who enjoys doing it more. Uh, you, you saw Alex Caesar today. His all of his teammates wanted him here because they knew what he did. And, and I can guarantee you it's no one telling him to do those things. He's doing it on his own. Yeah, so great, great kid. Yeah. I was very proud to meet him. Uh, let's have a success story uh, again. Top of your head of all 400 student athletes here or so. Um, 600. 600. Oh my gosh, that's a small college yeah. just right there. 600 student athletes. Yeah. Pull a name out of your hat uh, and let's give them some accolades right now for going above and beyond. Because if the whole team and the whole student athletes, if they have to do something, who's uh, who's the one person out of that group that okay. just, you know what, they do a little extra, not because they want to get mentioned on this radio show and right, not because right, they want to impress right, you. Right. They just do it. Right. I would I would say, um, if you're putting me on the spot, Janelle Lysick, um, she's a women's golf student athlete, just graduated and actually just got married. Um, and she was our SAC um, president for the last two years. Okay. And had tremendous leadership, uh, very unselfish, and uh, really did a good job of rallying our troops and getting our student-athletes out and getting them active. And so I'd like to say her, if you're going to put me on the spot, she's okay. done a fantastic job for us. And she's a, she's a fantastic Aggie, and, and she's got a great future ahead of her. Well, that's great, and I know uh, I, I know we're, we're taught, and at least you know at my church we're taught, don't uh, help out to get your back patted. Absolutely. Don't do it for back pats. Do it to help out. Absolutely. But I still like to pat backs. I still like to do that. I think everybody wants a little bit of encouragement here and there. But uh, like you said, you don't do it for that reason. Yeah. You do it because it's the right thing to do. And if you're doing it for the right reason, in time you'll be rewarded anyway. Raymond Harrison is our guest, Texas A&M Athletics. Before I let you go, I'm a huge football fan, and when you played at Cincinnati, give me some uh, Bearcat love. Give me your best moment on the field. Big hit, touchdown, winning game, what happened? Um, hmm. Man, I told you, it's been a long time. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. It's been a long time, and, and I've had some, uh, some different experiences as a student athlete. Uh, what position? I played safety. Safety. I was a safety and uh, ended up being one of those um, – uh, I guess one of those hybrid linebackers. And uh, I'll tell you this, 
uh, I, you know, I was a baseball player growing up. And the reason I started playing football is because I wanted to be like my brother. Uh, he actually played in the NFL for 15 years. Uh, Rodney Harrison oh, okay. uh, had a couple of Super Bowl rings. And so I tried to emulate him. And so I think the biggest thing for me, I was always, I always wanted to be known as a physical guy. And I wanted to be a guy that would just try to knock your head off. And so I guess I had, uh, we were playing in Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. And uh, there were a couple of times when they were trying to throw deep. And unfortunately, we were in a three deep zone. And I had a chance to just tee up and, and tear a guy's head off a couple of times in a row. And so I can't do that now anymore. Well, I guess I can in my own way as a disciplinarian. <laughs> but that, for me, I guess would be my highlight uh, from a personal standpoint. It's just getting a chance to do the things that got you to the scholarship in the first place. Yeah, so. that's fantastic. And you're telling me that Rodney Harrison's your brother? He's my brother. And your parents must be so proud to have two <laughs> successful sons. Well, I appreciate you saying that because, uh, yeah, we, I think we are both successful I mean, in our own great. ways. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been a big supporter of mine and, and vice versa. And we have another brother, too, so he's pretty successful in his own right. So Three successful brothers. Yeah, Do you dad, watch? Yeah, my dad did a fantastic job, and uh, he raised us the right way. And so uh, he's no longer with us, but uh, he's always watching over us. And, and I give thanks every day for everything he's instilled in us. What's a, what a great family. Well, you're changing lives here in uh, College Station, Aggie Land. Gig'em Aggies. Gig'em Aggies. Gig'em Aggies. Gig'em Aggies. You got to do this now. You got to put the thumb up. Put your thumb up, and yeah, that's a gig'em. Gig'em Aggies. Texas A&M. Texas A&M. And you know what? SEC football, SEC athletics, all of our teams, uh, women's track and field just won a national championship. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So, yeah, it's big time here. You're making a difference. Raymond Harrison, thank Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here, and thank you for your kind words. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social technically. The Adam Ritz Show pushes on from the West. I'm in Colorado in Estes Park in the beautiful Rocky Mountains, and we're going to categorize this part of the show as, uh, as education. We talk about a lot of social issues on this show, and we're going to focus on education, the importance of education, and more specifically, how much fun American history can be. I'm at the Stanley Hotel uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, and our guest is Jesse Freitas. And Jesse, uh, what is your title here at the Stanley Hotel? I am the guest services manager of the hotel, meaning that I run all the tours for the hotel. I'm also in charge of our archive room where we collect the artifacts from the history of the hotel. And then I'm also involved in a few other operations, including our Stanley Film Festival, our butterfly releases, and also our sculpture garden that we have here on property. And the Stanley Hotel, everybody listening to this broadcast knows what this hotel means to American pop culture, Uh, but you might not know it just by hearing the name the Stanley Hotel. So I'll let Jesse explain why this hotel is so important both in American history and in American pop culture. One of the big things about the Stanley Hotel that a lot of people don't know is the original grand opening was actually on July 4th, 1909. So the same day we celebrate our independence, this hotel was open, and they had a huge opening ceremony, um, debuted a party in our concert hall, which would have been originally called the Stanley Hall, and um, Casino was another name that they used for that. And they had John Philip Sousa actually came and played here on property for this huge grand opening. Now, uh, the original owner, Freeland Oscar Stanley, he was actually originally from Kingsfield, Maine. Uh, He was born in 1849. He did have an identical twin brother named Francis Edgar as well, too. So you have these two identical twin brothers. They grew up back east. They were very innovative. Um, They were credited for um, several different companies. They uh, started the Stanley Dry Plate Company, 
which was originally or eventually sold to Eastman Kodak in the early 1900s, and they also were involved in the Stanley Motor Carriage Company. Now, you may wonder what is the Stanley Motor Carriage Company. That is the Stanley Steamer. Um, so the classic cars from back in the early, it was late 1800s, they, they started manufacturing these cars and went up into the 1917 is the time that they sold their interest in that company. Um, so the Stanley Steamer, a very popular car. We have them here at the hotel, and we feature those on our tours. Yeah, they're beautiful cars. And so the Stanley uh, brothers, they're industrial revolutionists, turn of the century, uh, very wealthy and patented with inventions and cars. And even today, some of what they did with photography is used. Uh, I learned this last night on the tour, by the way. I don't know everything in the world. I just know what I learned from, from your staff. Uh, and this hotel built in 1909, or grand opening in 09, it is a, I guess you'd call it a national historic site. Uh, a building. It's protected by our government. Is that the way this works? Correct. Yeah, we are part of the historic hotels of America. So anything we do on property here, we kind of have to run by and make sure we're within keeping that original feel to the hotel. So it is it is 104 years old now. Um, it's a great place. It has a lot of charm. Um, it also has, you know, paranormal activity and uh, haunting reports and all, all sorts of things that happen here. And we have a lot of events, lots of weddings, um, it's just really a one-of-a-kind place to be, not only because of the Rocky Mountain National Park and Estes Park being right outside our front door here, but just the hotel itself. You don't really see architecture like this building. It's um, Georgian colonial revival style architecture, something very common with F.O. Stanley, our owner. He had homes back east and he kind of had the same architecture design in all the buildings. And his original home is actually still in Estes Park. It's a half mile from the hotel. It is a private residence, but he had a 50 or excuse me, 5,280 square foot home um, with five bedrooms and a workshop. Um, a couple of the other things he was known for, he's a very avid billiards fan, um, so he played a lot of billiards. He also was a bowler. So the casino, which is now the concert hall, actually originally had a two-lane bowling alley in the basement. So when his guests came up, they had all these different activities to do and things he enjoyed. The other thing he was very famous for that some people out there will know is Stanley violins. These are very, very rare antique violins. They're worth about $110,000 to $125,000 if you happen to have one. So check your attic. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was well known. He started carving. He made his first full violin, carved his first one at the age of 16. Um, so I don't know about you, but when I was 16, I definitely no. wasn't carving violins. No, so he was, he was ahead of his time at every step of his life, um, always looking ahead. He had a ton to do with the development of Estes Park as the town and also what eventually became the Rocky Mountain National Park. He was part of a, a protective environmental protective um, club, basically, that met when he first got to Estes Park who were, they were concerned about the elk population and keeping space um, to the wildlife so that people didn't just come in and hunt out Estes Park. And that originally or eventually turned into this idea of Rocky Mountain National Park that President Wilson signed in in 1915. Um, so that anniversary is coming up, too, for the mm -hmm. National Park. Um, but he was uh, kind of a leader, if you will, in just kind of pushing these ideas through. He brought the first power plant out here. The Stanley Hotel was one of the first fully electrified um, hotels west of the Mississippi. So you're talking people came up to Estes Park on July 4th, and here is this lit-up Stanley Hotel 
you know, with power and all these amenities that no one is used to. And it's in this town up in the mountains. So even to this day, you come up here and you see the hotel on the hill and it, it's just like, it seems almost out of place, but it was just, he was ahead of the, the curve every step of the way in his whole life. Well, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's historical to give our listeners kind of a sense. It reminds me, uh, it's like the Titanic almost. You feel a little bit like you're on, uh, not the ship. Uh, if the Titanic were a hotel in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, that's kind of what it feels like walking around here. Interesting fact um, about that, the unsinkable Molly Brown, she did stay at the Stanley Hotel. So tons of history here, and it's just a gorgeous place. And uh, so now we're supporting the tourism here at Rocky Mountain uh, National Park, Estes, Colorado, the Stanley Hotel. And you touched on something earlier I want to bring back to the conversation. Our guest is Jesse Frey. He's with the um, guest services of the Stanley Hotel. And one of the reasons you may know this hotel, well, two, there's two reasons. One is, the smaller reason, is because it's been featured on a lot of these paranormal uh, shows. I, my kids love them, the ghost hunters. They actually come here, they spend the night with their night vision goggles and their ghost hunting technology, and they search for ghosts here in this hotel. You've had actually uh, documented cases of ghosts in the hotel over the last hundred years. Correct, yeah. The paranormal activity is something that we're very well known for. Um, ghost adventures, ghost hunters, they've both filmed shows here. Some of them are planning on coming back. We do paranormal conferences. We usually do two or three a year with some of these groups where they bring people up here for the sole purpose of learning about um, hunting for ghosts, um, learning about the paranormal, and then they actually will you know, rent out huge spaces of the hotel just for ghost hunting from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. We do here at the hotel, um, we try to run our Stanley Paranormal Investigations a few times a month, so it's something anyone can come pay for. It's $60. You can come and hunt with our Paranormal Investigation Team, the Stanley Paranormal Investigation Team, for five hours in our concert hall in one of our haunted rooms. What's the uh, freakiest thing that's happened to you? Uh, late night in your office, lights are shaking, I, what, you feel a hand on your shoulder, it's a bony finger. What, what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you? <laughs> Well, it's funny you ask that, Adam, because one of the weirdest things was actually during the daytime. Um, I walk into the tour office one day, and our doors are shut, and they're latched at the top. Um, and I walk in, and I go walk behind the desk, and the two far doors to the office just blow open. And we're not talking about just slowly creaking, just we're talking bam, and flew open. And I looked at the other person in the office, and she looked at me, and we're just like, all right, time to get to work. <laughs> and just the other night, I actually took a video in the concert hall. We have something downstairs that's called Lucy's Room because we've had recorded, you know, the voice comes through and says Lucy quite a bit, this ghost or spirit, um, if you will, down in this room. Now, this door is actually on this rise in the carpet, so it catches. Now, what we do is we push the door back and we try to communicate with Lucy to shut this door. Well, she does it quite often. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who have been on a night ghost tour investigation here that can vouch for that. I actually have video footage the other night. I was I was playing around with it um, with a few people. We were trying to see if something would happen and had the video going. And I was talking, saying, Lucy, come on, come on. And in the video, there's such a thing called orbs. Now, wow. orbs orbs catch in photographs. It's supposed to be catch, capturing that spirit in like just a moment, so that energy spirit. Um, and people come here, they take pictures all the time, they catch these orbs. Well, in this video, you actually see, you can see my hand kind of in part of my face, and you see this orb dart across the screen towards the door just in this brief flash, and then the door starts shutting, and then it shuts. Are, um, are you... Are you actually here in front of me right now? Are you a human being, or am I talking to a ghost right now? I'm starting to wonder. This place is pretty cool. I'm not really sure. We'll, we'll see if I fade away at the end of this. 
Jesse Freitas is our guest. We're at the Stanley Hotel, and we save the best for last. Uh, one of the reasons uh, a lot of people come here is to see the, I guess, the birthplace, the genesis of the book, The Shining. Uh, Stephen King stayed in this hotel um, and was freaked out and got the idea for The Shining, and he wrote that book, uh, which we all know has gone on to be a great movie, and um, uh, he's even made his own version of it, a made-for-TV six-hour miniseries. Uh, the Shining is a, such a huge part of American pop culture, and it started right here at the Stanley Hotel, which is independent of all the paranormal activity that's happening anyway. Correct. So so maybe the ghost freaked Stephen King out enough, and that's what helped him write the, the book. That's correct, actually. Um, if you check his website, it, it, he talks a little bit about coming to the hotel. He came up here in late 1974, late September of 1974. He was trying to get over to Grand Lake, actually. And those of you who don't know the area, that's over Trail Ridge Road, which is the highest road in Colorado. So uh, it snowed, and you weren't going to get through. So him and his wife, Tabitha, came back down. They saw the Stanley Hotel and decided why not stop for the night. Now, this was at a point in time where the hotel still didn't have heat in the main building, so they didn't stay open over the winter, which is where this whole uh, concept of the Torrance family coming up comes from. So they stop. They let him stay. Was, you know, they were just winding down the season, so there's not a lot of people here. Him and his wife, um, they have a meal in Pinion Billiard, and um, actually Mick Garris, the director of the miniseries, told me that Stephen King relayed to him that when he was having dinner in the pinion billiard room he looks into this mirror and he thought you know he saw something like something sparked his you know creativity if you uh -huh. will and he turned away and he kind of his mind was going at that point now he of course i'm sure wandered around the hotel at night it's kind of unclear exactly what he saw but he does state that he woke up in kind of a panic in the middle of the night because he had this dream that this fire hose was chasing his son down the hall and these fire hoses are actually on the walls you can see the old uh, spout still in the hotel which is part of that historic element that we still keep mm -hmm. um he had that dream that was chasing him so he wakes up and he's kind of rattled and he sits he smokes a cigarette and he said he had the the bones of the book the novel the shining after that stay here so everything comes back here um, the Stanley Kubrick for version of the film um, was not shot here, which some people are disappointed to f find that out. But the whole idea of The Shining and Jack Torrance and the isolation, the snow and the ghosts, it all comes from our hotel here, which is very exciting. And I had heard uh, from a tour I took around the facility that he went to the bar, Stephen King went to the bar, and the bartender's name was Grady. That is correct. And, from, uh, and again, I've just watched The Shining, so that makes sense to me. But for our listeners that haven't seen The Shining in a while, Grady was the name of the caretaker that ended up murdering his family a decade prior to when Jack Nicholson in the film got to the Overlook Hotel. So Grady, the names, the uh, it's really neat from an American history point of view and American pop culture point of view to be in this building with the paranormal activity, the history, and now with the genesis of The Shining happening here. It's pretty cool to be here. Jesse, we thank you so much for your time uh, and helping to promote education because I'm telling you kids, American history can be fun. Thank you, Jesse, so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. The Adam Ritz Show, a reality show for your radio. And we're happy to bring a public service announcement from uh, the students here at the Salisbury School with a pretty serious social issue. We talk about a lot of uh, social awareness issues on this program. And we bring our first guest, Rex, on with us. Hi, Rex. How are you? Good. You? I'm great. What do you do here on campus at this school? I'm a student. <laughs> okay. 
And uh, any cur- extracurriculars? Or? I help with the blood drive and student activities. Oh, fantastic. When was the last uh, blood drive? Uh, March. Okay, and how does that, you're like on the board and, uh, or I just charities? Help, or? I help uh, coordinate it and run it during when the blood drive happens, so I'm there for seven hours. Okay, that's great. Well, a little quick, quick round of applause for the blood drive here. So. Okay. Well, we've got a, uh, a recent news story that really uh, means a lot to everybody listening uh, in this room and on the airwaves, our listening audience. This touches everybody's life, and we go now live to the news desk with Rex. Mother of teen killed texting and driving shares message to save others. Thank you, Rex, so much for uh, reading that for the group. Uh, this is a recent story, and uh, it's a pretty sad story, but um, the mother of the teen that was killed is, is using this as a platform to help other people. A text message that was sent from her son while he was driving is the last thing on his phone that was retrieved and it's what ended up taking his life. The text message reads, sounds good my man, see you soon, I'll tw-. and then it stops, it breaks off. That's where he crashed. It only takes a split second to take your eyes off the road when you're looking at your phone to uh, have a drastic tragedy happen. And I've seen it on the roadways. Everybody's seen it on the roadways. Everywhere you drive, the guy, the girl next to you in the car is texting away, checking emails on their little mini computer. And it's, it's such a bad idea. The, the consequences can be so horrible. So we just want to uh, applaud Sharon Height, the mother of Alex, who passed away texting and driving. I want to applaud Sharon Height for uh, this platform. She writes, please vow to never, never text and drive. In a split second, you could ruin your future, injure or kill others, and tear a hole in the heart of everyone who loves you. So that is your texting and driving public service announcement from the students at the Salisbury School in Salisbury, Connecticut. Give yourselves one more round of applause. Thank you. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.